Well, I, I guess I'm I'm hopeful really that you know we we as human beings are really a lot we're resilient, and the pandemic has shown that we're resilient. Uh, and I think that healthcare and and I think it's I think the pandemic has shown us the the humanity, the humanity of people who are involved in healthcare. People have risen to the occasion. It's, we're not through this yet, but people have risen to the occasion, and that really makes me proud. Hi, everyone. I'm Matt Isles, President and CEO of AHIP. And I'm your co-host, Laura Evans. Since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, health insurance providers have taken decisive action to support our frontline healthcare workers and make sure that every American can get the healthcare they need. Now, with multiple COVID-19 vaccines available, health insurance providers are working to ensure that all Americans have easy access to authorized vaccines free of cost. Visit ahip.org to learn more about what health insurance providers are doing to help get Americans vaccinated. Today, our guest is Dr. Andrea Gelzer, Senior Vice President of Medical Affairs for AmeriHealth Caritas. She's been responsible for developing the organization's integrated care management model and oversees medical management, quality, informatics, and provider contracting services. And she's deployed new approaches to alternative value-based payment as well as innovative population health management strategies for vulnerable populations. Andrea, thanks for joining us today. So why don't we jump right in. As the top physician executive in a large Medicaid managed care organization, you wear many hats. Can you talk about what your role is as Senior Vice President of Medical Affairs, what it entails, and what a typical day looks like for you? Matt, thanks for asking me to be here today. AmeriHealth Caritas operates in 13 states in the District of Columbia and serves about 4.6 million individuals, all in government programs. And as you know, Matt, we serve some of the nation's most vulnerable citizens. As the most senior physician executive in the organization, I'm in the really in the unique position to marry the clinical perspective with the business perspective. And so I always try to ensure all of our work improves access to care, experience and quality of care and health outcomes for our members and to make sure it's also delivered in a cost efficient manner for our government customers. And I would say that much of what I do for the company is assessing strategy and risk. I also enjoy mentoring other physicians, both inside the organization and outside of it through programs like AHIPS executive leadership program. And like so many, I've been working from home for over a year now. I spend an awful lot of time on Zoom on any given day, meeting with our clinical and health market leaders, as well as any number of external and community-based partners and national multi-stakeholder groups. Right now, I'm highly focused on all of AmeriHealth Caritas's COVID-19 activities from a clinical perspective for our associates, for our members, providers, and community-based partners, and getting vaccines as expeditiously as possible to our members in every market is the top priority. And then, of course, as we begin to return to the physical office, more thinking about it, um, ensuring that we do that in the safest manner for our associates 
there are many, many immediate and also ongoing considerations to returning, um, <laughs> returning back home. Um, I'm also very engaged at a national level on issues such as quality, performance management, or performance measurement, alternative payment models, telehealth, social determinants of health, uh, and looking at the intersection, and I try to look at the intersection of all of these issues and their impact to our members and to our health plan. So no two days are the same. But every day is very fulfilling to serve in this capacity, always working to try to improve quality and health outcomes for our members. And all of that is so important right now, obviously, uh, Dr. Gelser, with everything happening in our world at the moment. And you have a lot of experience also as a practicing physician. And on top of that, you've had a very impressive career. Talk to us about the path uh, that has brought you here to right now in your current role. Love to hear a little bit more about that path. Sure, Laura. Thanks for that question. Uh, before I began my career in managed care, I practiced internal medicine for well over a decade. I also led the formation of an early independent physician association while I was practicing. And so that's what we would now call an ACO or accountable care organization. I also developed a couple of early hospitalist programs. Uh, and as a practicing physician, I always tried to concentrate on building long-term relationships, both with my patients and with my colleagues, because I've always believed it's so important to do that from a continuity of care perspective, and that served me well. I transitioned to hospital-based administrative medicine, where I was very engaged in uh, the development of quality improvement programs in the hospital, as well as provider staffing and payer contracting, but on the other side. And then I went back to school to get a formal degree in population health and administrative medicine to give me an even broader perspective. I think that it's all of these experiences that helped me transition into various roles as a medical director at health plans, including my present role in AmeriHealth Caritas. So Andrea, I know in different times that we've had conversations and whether it's at conferences or different meetings, I've heard you talk about the whole person care model. Can you maybe explain what that is to the audience and how it factors into the uh, approach of your work? Sure, Matt. Uh, to talk about this, uh, the whole person care model, I mean, it's been coined by different people over the years. I think it's important to understand the history of AmeriHealth Caritas because whole person care has been central to our mission since the very beginning. AmeriHealth Caritas began more than 35 years ago as a community-facing provider-sponsored organization on the front lines at a hospital in West Philly. And the hospital was trying to address very high emergency room utilization and find medical homes for some very vulnerable individuals who didn't receive routine or preventive care. And our first office actually operated uh, out of a large closet at that hospital. Our CEO, Paul Tufano, likes to tell that story. In addition to finding uh, our, our few members at the time, few very vulnerable members, doctors, we had to support those doctors in finding these folks, other social supports to keep them healthy and keep them out of the hospital. 
So we've always had a front seat to the lives of the most vulnerable populations. The members we served 35 years ago and those we serve now have complex physical, behavioral health needs, and many live in socially disadvantaged neighborhoods. The social barriers to care that our members face are very significant. We know that more than 70% of a person's health is determined by things other than clinical. And we know the close connection that behavioral health and chronic health comorbidities can have on health outcomes and overall health care costs, costs a lot. This front seat view has given us insight about the linkages between health and the environment, physical health and mental health, to develop a real whole person care model, a model of care that takes a truly integrated and holistic approach to try to address all the needs of our, our members. So our whole person care model is woven into all of our work, through member programs, outreach activities, provider initiatives, community partnerships and the like. It's an approach that is very much embedded in the work we do throughout the organization and it's central to our mission. For example, throughout the pandemic, we've been reaching out to our members, particularly those who are older or have chronic conditions that may put them at higher risk for COVID related complications. Those who live in at-risk neighborhoods those who are in communities of color to check in and see how they're doing. And we're also doing this in the member's preferred language. It's a simple touch point to ask, how are you doing today? But because we're approaching it through a whole person lens, the call can touch on physical health, like assisting with diabetes management or scheduling a doctor's appointment um, for an, or scheduling an overdue mammogram but it can also touch on getting them transportation to that doctor's appointment or getting them connected with a food bank to put food on the table or even finding them housing assistance if that's needed. It's an opportunity to see how they're coping with the pandemic, how they're feeling physically and mentally and find out if they have enough food at home for dinner this week or if they need information about housing assistance programs. A simple, how are you doing today touch point can go such a long way to connecting all facets of our members' health and well-being. It's also interconnected. So uh, every industry now sees itself through a COVID-19 lens. Can you talk about some of the ways that the health industry has changed during this crisis and how do you think it should continue to change in the future? It's really made us think differently. I think about how services are provided what services can be provided virtually, which can't. And I guess that's both from a provider perspective and a care management perspective. Our care managers are using tablets to connect virtually with members much more frequently. And our providers are using telehealth services much more frequently. It's made us think a lot about provider resilience too, making sure that our provider networks are able to su sustain themselves uh, throughout the pandemic and post-pandemic so that access to care is sustained. Thinking more about not just what we pay for, but how we pay providers on a really longitudinal basis to ensure that they're still able to go on. For quite some time during the public health emergency, many prior off requirements have been waived as well. As an industry, we should really evaluate what all this change has meant to care. 
Are there things we didn't pay for before that we should continue to pay for? Of course, of course there are. Are there other things we've been paying for for years that we may find out really didn't matter so much? Health insurance providers are working around the clock to ensure that all Americans can receive a COVID-19 vaccine free of cost. That includes partnering with state and local public health authorities to identify individuals who should be placed at the front of the line to receive the vaccine. Visit ahip.org to learn more about what health insurance providers are doing to help get Americans vaccinated. I know that you've been interviewed extensively about telehealth services, Andrea, and I think we've all seen the dramatic growth and utilization uh, and across so many different types of services. You know, as you think about the vaccine and getting to a, a post-vaccine world where we're maybe back to a little bit more normal, what's your anticipation uh, around telehealth and how it will continue to grow? Well, Matt, telehealth is a natural extension of the patient-doctor relationship out of the four walls of the doctor's office in my, in my mind. We've seen our members and providers embrace telehealth at a rapid pace since the beginning of the pandemic, upwards to five, a 5,000% increase in utilization. However, we've seen telehealth utilization trends decrease and then plateau as provider offices began to reopen last summer. It's been hugely important for behavioral health care and therapy services, and that's been the biggest trend work we're seeing continue throughout. I think that will continue and further increase post-pandemic. Primary care practices are also significantly embracing telehealth, more so than we ever thought they would pre-pandemic. For the underserved communities that AmeriHealth Caritas serves, we've seen how telehealth can remove barriers to care such as transportation or childcare issues. As a result, our network providers actually have reported significantly fewer no-show appointments with telehealth. We want these positive impacts to continue post-pandemic. I believe we'll see telehealth continue to grow in a post-pandemic world, but that growth will be because telehealth becomes more and more integrated into provider practice workflows. It becomes really another modality for providers to reach their patients. Perhaps post-pandemic, we'll see practices split their time between in-clinic and virtual visits. I don't know, maybe it's 75% visits in the clinic and 25% visits via telehealth. For some providers, I think it'll be much more telehealth. Providers may find it is more effective to have regular checkup appointments for some patients with chronic conditions via telehealth, especially for those who like to skip appointments because of the or, or I should say, like to skip appointments. For those who skip appointments because of the barriers they experience to get to the doctor's office, I don't know uh, what that sweet spot is, but do know that we're going to see telehealth become more established as an integral part of the delivery system going forward. And AHEP actually has convened a telehealth best practices work group that I'm chairing to explore some of these very issues. And we're looking at ways to measure access and quality of care for telehealth. There's still so much to learn about telehealth based on our uh, 
experiences um, in the past year. I'm excited to be a part of the work that AHIP is leading in this area. Dr. Gelser, quick, quick, curious about, um, you know, Matt, Matt said earlier, your work with AmeriHealth Caritas includes overseeing health management strategies for vulnerable populations. Do you think that we will see the expansion of even more remote possibilities? You're talking about telehealth here. Um, are there are there other expansions of more remote possibilities so patients will in vulnerable communities um, who maybe can't travel will get the care that they need? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I actually was going to talk about that at the end, but um, I can talk about it now if you like, because uh, well, you can I just touch on it. I'd love to hear love to hear a couple of ways that you that you envision that expansion. Yeah, no, I, I actually think that's, uh, that's going to be the next big thing in healthcare. The intersection of digital health care technology with traditional in-person healthcare is certainly a place to watch. And the pandemic in many ways helped accelerate this convergence. And it's something we should all pay attention to in our industry, but also from our own personal experiences as patients and caregivers. I think there's much more to come with this in the immediate years ahead. I think that app consolidation to support virtual care will become a reality. So much so that virtual care may become an equal way to deliver healthcare and perhaps even the predominant form of healthcare in the future. And I know that that sounds a little like Star Trek Next Generation, but people want to get care when and where it's convenient for them. So in their homes, in their offices, uh, in underserved communities or wherever, we're going to begin to see that apps will connect to patient-controlled, I think, handheld monitoring devices, and patients will be instructed how to use them, and we'll see that apps will be the interfaces to get clinical monitoring data directly into significant technology platforms, and these platforms are going to be game-changing in my mind. They're going to integrate with the longitudinal patient records and they're going to track the data they gather and contribute uh, to the measurement of patient outcomes. So we won't have to do lots of retrospective studies. We're going to have that information in a very contemporaneous manner. And with all the progress we've made on interoperability, patients are going to be able to pull more and more clinical data into apps. And we, as payers, are going to need to shepherd the evidence basis for all of this. I think the drive to value is going to fuel all of this consolidation. One-off add-ons are only going to get us so far. But to your point, Laura, to really, um, to really uh, actually take telemedicine uh, to the next level, this is where we need to go and take a much more comprehensive approach to technology. And that's quite a mouthful. It's such an interesting vision of the future to, to think about. Why don't we maybe bring it back to the present a little bit and and just talk about how AmeriHealth Caritas is uh, heavily engaged in population health. And I know how important addressing uh, social determinants of health is uh, to the organization. Maybe you could share a little bit about some of the on the ground activities that uh, you've invested in or utilized uh, to help address especially some of the, the massive health inequities in our country that have only been exacerbated by the pandemic. I, I know the, the audience would love to hear about that. 
Yeah, and it's such an important question, Matt. The pandemic has really brought the discussion of health equity to the forefront as communities of color are disproportionately affected by COVID-19. Black and Hispanic individuals are still twice as likely to die from COVID-19 as white Americans and three times more likely to be hospitalized with the virus. Health plans have really renewed their efforts to address health equity and are doing it in a much more holistic manner than ever before to drill down to the systemic root causes. It's a different and more comprehensive approach than what has been done in the past, I think. And it's wonderful that collectively the industry is working toward ways to not only improve health disparities, but really get to equity and equality for all. A few things we're doing at AmeriHealth Caritas include continuing to capture individual level uh, self-reported member level race, ethnicity, language data to be to more effectively prioritize and engage our members through outreach efforts. We're also investing in our community-based workforce of community health workers and peer support specialists who will very soon be out in full force in the community, we hope again. Offering health equity and implicit bias training for our associates in our provider network expanding partnerships with community-based organizations and the communities we serve, incorporating social determinants of health and health equity components into our value-based contracting, contracting arrangements with providers. And also we're working with the Gravity Project through HL7 to standardize electronic data collection for social determinants of health and further advance interoperability. And we're also partnering, partnering with state and local governments to support an equitable COVID-19 vaccine distribution and access. It really does. It really is taking a village here. It does take a village and we're always looking for best practices. So I'm turning to you, Dr. Gelser, to find out, you know, with everybody dealing with so much uncertainty right now, balancing that fear and hope and work and home and parenting and relationships, how do you find solace in your everyday life? How do you stay grounded? How do you find your balance? You know, we all know the last year has taken a toll on so many people as we've all adjusted to the new normal while balancing a number of responsibilities at home and being apart from many of our loved ones. So I try to look to the future and have become really disciplined at staying connected to family and friends via Zoom or on the phone. Social isolation has taken its toll, but with vaccination, I think there's a real light at the end of the tunnel now. I try to take a walk every day myself, which is so helpful to me, both for my physical and mental health. And I, I try to do yoga. It breaks up the day and I encourage everyone to take time each day to do some kind of mental and physical exercise, or even just sit outside and enjoy the warmer weather as it's got to be on its way. I know I'm looking forward to warmer days outside ahead. My family adopted a puppy like many last summer, and she's brought us much joy. All of our grown children have acquired cats or dogs too through the pandemic, as have other extended families. So we've got quite a menagerie going with all these animals. So we have a family messaging site now, and we all share the latest, you know, photos of, of the animals with creative captioning. It's another way we all stay connected, and it, we're connected over warm and fuzzy things that make us happy. 
my mom, my aunt, my sister, actually, who live in the same household, all got COVID um, around the holidays. So I had to manage from a distance, uh, you know, their sickness like many others. My sister ended up being the one who landed in the hospital for four days. Thankfully, she responded to steroids and remdesivir and oxygen therapy. She fully recovered. My mom's doing well and hardly had any symptoms, but my aunt has had a serious decline in her overall mental and physical status, and she's never going to be the same. Mm. There are still many, many sequelae of COVID. We haven't named or know how they will turn out. I have the resources to deal with them as best they can be treated. And I know how to navigate the healthcare system. I really worry about and fear for others who aren't as fortunate. I'm sorry to hear about that. Yeah, that's so important, that perspective. And, and you know, you've been so generous with your time today. Maybe we'll um, change things up a little bit in terms of how we end. So maybe you could share something uh, that, uh, makes you optimistic about the future, especially with respect to health. I know we've all gone through so much, whether it's with respect to family members who've been affected, mental health related issues. What makes you hopeful about healthcare? Well, I, I guess I'm, I'm hopeful really that, you know, we, we as human beings are really a lot, we're resilient and the pandemic has shown that we're resilient. Uh, and I think that healthcare, and, and I think it's, I think the pandemic has shown us the, the humanity, the humanity of people who are involved in healthcare. I mean, the direct providers, uh, managed care uh, associates, um, all sorts of caregivers. Uh, it, 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 people, people have risen to the occasion. It's, we're not through this yet, but people have risen to the occasion and that really makes me proud. Dr. Gelzer, thank you so much for spending a little bit of time with us today. We really appreciate the conversation. Thank you, Dr. Gelzer. And thank you, Matt and Laura, for asking me to be with you. It's been a pleasure. Vaccines save lives and they're essential to helping us overcome the COVID-19 crisis. Health insurance providers are actively working with their local, state and federal partners to ensure widespread uptake of COVID-19 vaccines and halt the spread of the disease. Working together, we can and will overcome the COVID-19 crisis. Visit ahip.org to learn more about what health insurance providers are doing to help get Americans vaccinated.